This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with us and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Before we get to the show, I just want to mention a few things. Initial Ascent Packs, they're awesome. I used a 2K all last season. I'm still using it now for stuff. Uh, I'm going to be using it for uh, training, for uh, prepping for my hunt and getting some miles in with some, uh, some weight on my back. And I uh, just recently picked up a 6K, and it's going to be awesome as well. Plan on using it on my elk hunt along with the 2K if I'm doing some day hunts or something and having a base camp. But uh, if I'm packing on my back and going in there, depending on where I'm at, I'm going to be using that 6K. Uh, Dennis and Joe are amazing people. What's awesome about that company is you can reach out to them, and they're the ones who are going to answer your call and actually talk to you about their product. And you're going to even get a handwritten note from them thanking you for your purchase and uh, wishing you luck on that hunt. And I just find that is super awesome and amazing in this day and age to have somebody that does that for you. And uh, actually, handwrites a note for you is just amazing. And uh, on top of that, it's an American-made product. And one thing about this podcast is, and myself, is just that anything that's American-made that I can support or get behind and it's a quality product, I'm going to talk about it. This is not a paid promotion. I'm honestly just talking to you about an amazing pack. So uh, check them out. If, if you don't have one or you're looking for a pack, give, give them a try. Uh, you'll like it for sure. And then on top of that, we're going to talk about TreelineAcademy.net. TreelineAcademy.net is the most comprehensive e-scouting course ever, ever made. Mark Livesey is just an amazing, amazing wealth of knowledge, and he's willing to share that with everybody. So uh, check that out and see what's going on there with that. Use promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20% on sign up. It's awesome. And uh, actually, it's not 20%. It's 20 bucks. Save yourself $20 off a of sign up. Then the next one I want to talk about is Basemap. Basemap app with their hunt data, 
the the online mapping system for e-scouting, setting waypoints, smart markers. Uh, so you have all your hunt data on the wind and anything, as long as you have a cell signal. It's absolutely amazing. There's so much more that's coming out. They've updated their offline maps, so they're way, way, way faster than they used to be, which I know a lot of people were actually kind of complaining about that, but now they're lightning fast. I've downloaded them, used them. It's awesome. On top of that, they've got some new updates that are coming out that are just going to blow you away. Can't talk about them yet, but we will be talking about them. So check them out. Use promo code PC25. Save yourself 25% on sign up. Only on the website, not on the app. And with that being said, let's get to our show. All right. So I am sitting here and I am talking to Clay Bowers. And uh, Clay, you want to introduce yourself a little bit for everybody? Hi. I'm Clay Bowers. Uh, I'm returning here thanks to Lucas. I am a forager, a wild food teacher, wild food enthusiast. I also am a hunter and a fisher, although not much of a fisher. And yeah, like I said, I'm just really, really, really into wild food and getting people excited about wild food. And trapper, Clay. And trapper. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and a trapper. <laughs> but that's not as popular. It's not as popular. What do you, you mean? Just because people haven't caught on to how awesome it is yet, right? Is that what? Uh... No, I'll tell you. Actually, we we get a goat milk share, and so we were picking up our goat milk share, and they were telling us about how they have coyotes and foxes sometimes. And I offered to come out there this winter and trap them, and they they said that they had somebody a couple of years ago hunting the coyotes, and they were okay with that. But then when I said I was gonna I, I was going to trap them and not hunt them. They they had a look of astonishment on their faces. <laughs> I don't see. Uh, I I guess people just need to be educated on trapping. Then you know it <laughs> I, needs to need to bring more awareness. Um, have you ever watched? There was a documentary on a dude on I think it was like Netflix or something, and it was like Trapper John or I can't remember the guy's name. Some old dude that's been trapping since like, and I think he's like out in Oklahoma or somewhere out that way and he's been trapping since like the 30s did you ever see no that? oh man that no, is I didn't. So... <laughs> and he yeah i can't remember i think he was like part jewish or something and some of the kids in the town made fun of him and stuff and you know he got this 95 year old <laughs> man talking about yeah i gave him a good one right upside the head <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty yeah. funny but anyway um yeah trapping definitely needs some more awareness um and that's something i think I need to dedicate this podcast, not this one, but uh, a couple episodes to, and maybe try and bring it to light a little bit more so people can enjoy it. But summertime's here, man. Springtime was here. Summertime's right around the corner. All these things are green and they're popping everywhere. So what are you doing right now? What are you harvesting? What are you foraging? I mean, what's going on in the edible, wild edible world? Wild edibles. Um, I was actually thinking about this because I knew that I was going to be talking to you tonight. Yeah. And I was thinking about how funny it is, like the difference between me and a lot of my friends that hunt versus like what, what I do. Mm-hmm. I haven't been doing any fishing at all for like a month, but I've been harvesting wild plants like crazy. That's awesome. And <laughs> and I I was thinking about how Maybe in the past, this wouldn't have been as sustainable for me to be doing this. But we, since we have meat from the fall that was put in the freezer, it affords me the opportunity to be able to go out and harvest. But 
what we're harvesting. I mean, you told me before we started recording that you're already getting mulberries. Oh, yes. Lots. Well, they're just okay. So they're just turning to ripe right now. And so we're walking around with the kids and picking them and only the little guy likes them. <laughs> None of the other kids like them. They're not sweet enough for them, you know. <laughs> but yeah. Well, if you get, if you get a if you get a really rainy year, mulberries are not very sweet. So we're dry. They are <laughs> We're a dry year, but yeah. continue, please. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, but so you you live south of us. The only fruit that just started to ripen as of 3 days ago was strawberries. Ooh. And I keep a uh, phenology calendar, so I write down like basically as often as possible, like every day or every couple of days, I'll write what stuff is starting to come into flower and what stuff is fruiting and what stuff I'm picking. And I do that year after year to keep track of the things that I hunt and fish and forage. So when you do that, Clay, are you, um, are you like writing down the weather and everything as well? So you know, like what type of year goes along with that or? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yep. So I'll write down uh, the the temperature of the day that I'm recording, whether it's sunny or rainy, and uh, it's just the dorky habitat that I have or habit that I have not habitat. <laughs> Slightly nerdy, um, but also very cool because that kind of data is super important. And I always told myself that I was going to start like a hunt journal as well, so I could know, uh, you know, barometric pressure, everything that's going on in in the environment when I'm seeing all these different sightings of deer, like. Uh, certain behavior and you know all those kind of things so i can be like okay the wind was out of this way and 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 really nail things down and i never do it yeah <laughs> so it's one of those things that i'm glad i have smart markers for now on my phone where like i can open up my gps app and actually just hit it and it like saw a buck over here and then it'll have if i got any type of internet connection it'll have the data for the weather and everything so at least i have something because i'm still really bad about writing it down and keeping a journal i need to start that though so i'm glad you said that because maybe it'll kind of keep me pushed in that direction yeah um so i think it's a good idea for everybody it's also fascinating to see phenology which is like how things the the movement of plants and animals and you know botanical things over time so you're looking at the time frame of things and sometimes when i i'll see other people on instagram like uh tim clemens mm -hmm. who i think has been on your podcast as well yes yep um i am always consistently amazed at how much sooner the the plants ripen by him than they do by me and yet he is in a way colder climate than he than i am i wonder why that is I don't know because, uh, <laughs> well, actually, so phenology, the study of phenology has basically shown that east is equal to north. So it's almost the same as you move across the country. Like if you go one hour east, that is almost equal to one hour north. That's crazy. Is that yeah, so that's why, that's why like basically uh, somebody in, in Washington state, they're harvesting greens in late January and early February, maybe that we harvest up here in Traverse city in May. <laughs> no. Wow. So is, is that because of the exposure, the amount of exposure to the sun or, I mean, 
I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a strange phenomenon. <laughs> you, you just blew my mind, dude. I'm trying to like grasp it right now as we're talking about it. But okay. Yes. So yeah. So anyway, I guess back to your original question. Sorry to <laughs> derailed you. Uh, the things that we're harvesting right now are uh, we're in the shoot season, which is what I would just call shoots. Yeah. Um, you know, those are all of the stems and the tender tender stems and those are kind of tapering off at this point but there's still some available and and then we're going to get into pretty soon here fruits and that's like insanity for our, our house last year we harvested 130 pounds of berries and then probably an equal amount of apples and an equal amount of pears and an equal amount of <laughs> all the all kinds of other stuff feral apples or clones <laughs> <laughs> uh feral apples and clones awesome so, awesome yeah i, I want to find yeah, that's like my goal right now after talking to you last time i want to find some feral apple orchard or just patch of feral apples somewhere that's my goal you can start them just throw pits on the ground yeah i know but it's not the same as i mean a little pip how long does it take a pip or a pippin to become you know a full tree uh, quite a few years though. I just I wanna yeah. I wanna find one somewhere just in the wild. That's my goal. But um so you you're saying shoots right now. So like mm-hmm. um all of our stuff down here, like just today, was out with the kids and walking around looking and the milkweed is actually starting to get the flowers on them. They're not turning into colors or anything yet. They're still the green like they would be for the body, but it's got that. It's not an umbula, is it? What do you call the the, the flowering mass part on Just it? Just a flower, a flower cluster. A cluster. So it's, flower. they're starting to get clusters on them right now. So, I mean, how far mm-hmm. away, how far different is that from you? Actually, that's very surprising to hear because we are at the exact same point as you then. Really? Okay. Yeah, so... Yeah. So milkweed, milkweed shoots are over for us, but, um, a lot of people are unaware of this, even in the foraging world, just because some plant is tall doesn't mean you can't take the top of it if it's still flexible and tender. So, okay. That's what I was going to ask you next anyway, was, can I still harvest the milkweed or would it be too fibrous? So you could just, you could take the top portion of that then where it's still flexible and tender and, um, and you can, you would uh, blanch that and eat it, right? Cook it. Exactly. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. You can take. So yep, gonna... you can take the top. <laughs> milkweed. Milkweed is one of the best wild edibles in our country, in my opinion. That's awesome. You, you have you have something that you can eat the shoots as soon as they emerge. You can eat the tops right now. You can eat the unopened flower buds. I don't think that the flowers taste very good, mm. but you can eat them. Um, and then when the pods come around, you can eat the pods. So you have literally, in some cases, four months what about of the harvest. Leaves? Have you ever eaten leaves? Yeah, as long as they're boiled. So you can, like, you that, can boil the leaves and use them as like a grape leaf to wrap something or something like that? I don't know that that would taste very good, but <laughs> you could. Okay, potentially. So, so what do you use them for then, the leaves? Well, when we do... I'm only eating the milkweed leaves on the top, on the very top. So okay. I'm not, I'm not taking, I'm not taking and harvesting leaves on purpose. Oh, okay. Because, I gotcha. So there, there is one thing about milkweed, for instance, like 
um, you do want to leave some for monarchs. Right. And and actually, there is evidence that harvesting milkweed in the earlier stages of the spring and summer actually is beneficial to the life cycle of the monarchs. Oh, because it'll sustain because, them further throughout. I get it. Well, so what happens is, you know, because farmers get irritated by them because they're, you know, invasive yeah. or whatever in, in quotes. <laughs> well, they're, the reason they're invasive is because they have an underground rhizome. So when you, in the early spring, pluck up a shoot, what that what that rhizome does afterwards is it sends up another shoot and that extra shoot that comes up is going to be lagging behind all of the other growth of the milkweed in that patch and it's going to be more tender and in my experience we have done this with uh with milkweed patches near us where we've harvested half of the patch 100 percent mortality pulled up all of the the shoots in one half and left the other half by. When we come back later in the year, guess which patch has more monarchs in it? The one you, you cut up early on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The one that we harvest. The one that we harvested. It's it's every single year. It's the same. We find more monarchs and more caterpillars in the the patches that we harvest. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So when you cook your, let's talk about your milkweed shoots and like the tops. When when you're cooking them. What are you doing with them? Are you making them like asparagus? You know, just kind of like little olive oil and bake it, grill it. What What do you do with it? Um, well, all common milkweed, Asclepias syriaca, needs to be needs to be boiled for at least five minutes. I'd say. Okay. Um, just one boiling, just a quick boil, and not, then you pour out. Not the you ten. You pour out the water. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you don't need to do ten minutes. Um, boil it for five minutes. Toss out the water. There are cardiac glycosides in small amounts in, in milkweed, but they are water soluble, so they'll come out. And I, I mean, I've been eating these plants for over a decade and never had a problem. Served them at foraging fests. Nobody's ever had a problem. They're completely edible if they're done, if they're taken care of in the right way. It's just that there is a potential that somebody could have a reaction if they don't boil it. So that's why I stress the importance of boiling it. So do you think it happened to be like, and I know people have talked about this before, but like, wasn't it Ewell Gibbons or somebody like that, that may have mistaken, mistaked dog's bane for um, milkweed or somebody did to where they gave that recommendation where you need to like boil the water like five times boil it in water with five changes of the water or something <laughs> like that you know what i mean like wasn't there something yes. like that that potentially happened that they confused it for like i'm i'm gonna be honest with you the the originator of that theory is my friend sam Thayer, and um I don't know that I believe that story. Okay. I think that is a I, I I believe that that is a hypothesis. I think that what what the reality probably is is that Ewell Gibbons probably just got told that by somebody else, and okay. that that's why he ate them that way. And he probably also knew that all of the other Asclepias, like there's 72 native species in North America, uh, all of them are toxic. You know, except for uh, I think Asclepias speciosa, that's the showy milkweed that grows out west. Okay. I don't know. If, I don't know if you've ever seen that. That one also is edible, but I I believe that Ewell Gibbons 
was amazing at identifying plants. And while we can all make mistakes, if you're a guy writing books, I don't think that you're going to look at a dog bane and look at milkweed and, 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 mis and mistake the two. Can you tell the difference between dog bane and milkweed? I can. <laughs> uh, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah. Um, okay. So, so. so if if um, if that's the case, do you think it was like a, a like a error on the side of caution because somebody might pick the different one, like say like a swamp milkweed or something like that? Is that? Yeah. Now. Yeah. I, I mean, I. I I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I believe that Sam has that theory, but I do not think that that theory is correct because he's, he was an expert. Ewell Gibbons was an expert forager. Yeah. And you, you show somebody milkweed enough times after five times of looking at milkweed and seeing the difference in the shoots, it's pretty easy to tell the difference. Um, and and now, uh, ima imagine yourself doing picking milkweed shoots for years and then and then all of a sudden accidentally picking the wrong species i yeah. i mean that'd be like being a being like a hunter and you hunt whitetails all the time and then you know you go out to do a mule deer hunt and you you know oh i mistook the, the they were i thought the one was the other you yeah. know i get it no i get that that makes sense i was just kind of curious about that um so when i'm trying to think here like Cause I've talked to some people that say that they have swamp milkweed and they've eaten that too, but not the shoots. They actually eat the buds of the swamp milkweed, but they do boil them like twice with the water change out. I mean, is that something that's like a common practice or no? I've never eaten swamp milkweed. For the reason um, that you've been told is poisonous or because. <laughs> um, for the reason that I have been told it's poisonous, but also I have also read the like toxicity research. Okay. And 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 for instance, monarchs that eat more swamp milkweed are way more toxic than the ones that eat common milkweed. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah, right? So <laughs> Yeah. That's that's an interesting concept. I never thought about it like that. Um yeah, so these people told me they're like, Yeah, we we take them and we blanch them, you know, and water boil them a couple times. And then we take them and we bread them and deep fry them. And I was like, really? And I'm like, this is swamp. Yeah. And they like to show me pictures and it was swamp milkweed. It wasn't your common, you know, milkweed. And I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> and they're like, yeah. yeah, we've been doing it for years, you know, once, once a year or whatever. But, um, so what do you do with the flowers then when, when you take like, uh, the un, opened you know flower clusters you take those and you actually cook them and eat them too yeah so just this weekend i had a foraging class and i pre-boiled a bunch of milkweed flowers the unopened buds and then i actually brought my little camp stove to the class afterwards and just did a quick little saute and put a little bit of um flaky sea salt on them nice. and served them up everybody loved them so um what kind of oil did you use? Was it like acorn or hickory oil or? <laughs> no, no I, I actually just usually do butter. Okay. That sounds just, good. Just butter or ghee. Ghee. Just to do clarify. You, do you make your... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. For everybody that doesn't know, ghee is clarified butter. <laughs> just in case. Yeah. But um, do, do you make your own then? 
Uh-uh. No, I don't make my own ghee. Okay. All right. My wife hates ghee. She hates the smell of it. It doesn't, Why? Because it doesn't have that sweet smell anymore. <laughs> when all the lactose is gone, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't have that sweet smell. I don't know. She doesn't like the smell of it, but um, cool. <laughs> so um, when you, I, I mean, you're cutting the tops off, you're doing the same thing for those. And then the other day I happened to ask you and you helped me verify that what I was looking at was correct. And it was mm-hmm. lamb's quarter. And, yep. and, um, so I'm kind of curious, how do you cook that? Do you do it the same way? Do you do like a saute or do you do something special with it? How do you prepare and do something like that? Uh, with lamb's quarters, I just basically use it as a pot herb, like a kind of cooked green, just quick saute with oil. Usually what we use in this house is I like to use all animal fats, no vegetable oils because I don't know if you're hip to this or not, but vegetable oils are terrible for your health. I um, <laughs> okay, good. Well, I just say that because a lot of people are still on these vegetable oils and they're clogging our arteries, which is kind of funny because that's uh, the opposite of what they were telling us for years. Correct. Um, but uh, so we use uh, duck fat. We use lard. I will actually render down and make lard or I'll make uh, beef tallow. Those are the ones that I like to use the best and then, or I'll cook in ghee, like I said. So, um, so sorry. <laughs> lamb, so, so lamb's quarters, lamb's quarters. I just cook in, in a pan, saute them and eat them. I don't really like to eat them raw. Yeah. And, and they are actually high in oxalates. So if you're eating a lot of raw lamb's quarters, then you're getting a lot of, oxalates which leads to kidney stones if you are predisposed to that so um like let's say you make a salad and you throw Mm -hmm. like 20 or 30 leaves in there and you know more than one people person is eating that that should be an acceptable amount right like to not if you have one serving of the salad that probably wouldn't oh yeah yeah you're you're totally fine um Peanut, peanut butter has a ton of oxalates in it, you know, and people mow down on that stuff every day too. And, and I do as well. I also eat peanut butter. I'm just saying you don't want to add to your load. You don't want to eat like, you know, a huge salad of just lamb's quarters every okay. single day. I gotcha. But here's the thing that people don't know. Spinach is also really high in oxalates and people eat that all the time raw. They do. Um, which like, uh, Joe Rogan podcast, right? He was talking about how he doesn't eat his spinach or drink his spinach smoothies anymore because of the oxalates and the fact that it can help give you kidney stones or something like that. I, I do think I remember hearing something about that. I would love to give a book plug uh, really quick for one a book that actually changed my life on on cooked foods. Yes, because there's this whole, there's this whole movement uh, to eat a lot of raw stuff, and um, Richard Rangham wrote a book called Catching Fire. And the whole entire book is about how humans are designed to be eating cooked foods. And we've actually evolved um, to basically be unable to live on a raw food diet. We're, so, we're not evolved anymore. Or we're evolved past being able to live on a raw food diet. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Like, like we have so messed with ourselves by eating uh, food that was cooked on a fire. And it's like, uh, it's like changed our digestive tract, 
basically. Like they, like they taught, they did experiments where they tried to get people to eat nothing but raw food and they had to eat 16 hours a day to fulfill their nutritional requirements. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what's the name of that book one more time then? So everybody will catch that. It's that's catching, catching fire by, by Richard Rangham. Really interesting. That sounds like uh, something I'm, if I ever get time, I'm going to have to read that for sure. Um, I'll just get, get the audio book. That's also <laughs> true. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so what, uh, what, what else are you like finding right now that you're uh, cooking up? Um, one thing that I really like and that you can still harvest right now is uh, pokeweed tops. So, okay. and that is a double boiler. So what, what we do is we'll get the tops of pokeweed strip all the leaves off just have these the tender shoots and boil them twice one one boil is for approximately 10 minutes the next one is probably for only two or three minutes but it's just excessively because they they are toxic but um and actually so i've been foraging for what like 16 years now and i never ate pokeweed until a few years ago yeah. Because I was, I thought, ah, what's the point of eating something you need to boil two times? <laughs> I, that's that's how I always thought, you know. Right. And then, a, and then a friend actually served me up some poke and bacon, and okay. it was such such a marvelous meal that I had to replicate it every summer now. So okay, I so in case anybody doesn't know, pokeweed is like the purplish looking, reddish. I mean, some of it's green, it comes up, right? And it's got the, it almost kind of looks like, you know, it's got these berries on it that stick out and like, a, uh, what's the pattern? I'm trying to think of the word for the symmetry of it, for the pattern, but. Uh, they look like racemes. So they look kind of like in the way they, they'll come out in the way like cherries come out, kind of like you look at like a choke cherry or a yeah. black cherry. Okay. So, uh. <laughs> Poke, pokeweed though is almost always i don't know if you'll notice this next time you look out check out pokeweed always grows by things yeah it's almost it's almost universally by something else like if you threw a pile of rocks on your property and waited a couple years pokeweed would probably be growing there yes <laughs> next to my mulberry tree in my front yard pokeweed grows up at the bottom edges of that to where the overhangs are or on the fence on the side of my barn, when I don't get around to weed whacking it right away, there comes pokeweed yeah. that year. Yeah. Um. But so I mean, wasn't I mean pokeweed's not a native plant, right? It wasn't it brought yes, here, it from, or it is a native plant. It is a native plant. Yeah, it's actually its scientific name is Phytolacca americana. Okay. So. Very, it is an American. Very plant. good. So it's just so yeah. I mean it does just show up everywhere. Then it's not like somebody brought it here and it's all over the place. Yeah, it's just a just a native guy likes to live his life next to things. <laughs> so describe to me how you cook this then, because it's got me curious. I see it all the time, and I've always thought, oh, it's poisonous. You can't do anything with it. But I've heard like little grumblings of, oh yeah, no, you can't eat it. But I've never known. Okay, so you like I said, you want to make sure you do the two the two boilings 
you know, pokeweed does have toxic stuff. One of the other rules of thumb that people like to follow is never harvest pokeweed that's still got red on the outside of it, right? So you see a shoot come up, you look for the only green green shoots. I don't know if that's just a folktale, but just to be safe, we always only harvest the poke that's still got that's only green. And you basically feel down the plant from the top, depending on how high it is, and you're looking for the flexible portion of it. That flexible portion might be 12 inches long, or it might be only three inches long. You break that flexible portion off, just like you would with an asparagus. Okay. And, and then I'm removing all the leaves, and then... I'm boiling those for 10 minutes for one boil and then two or three minutes for the next boil. And then we basically like kind of chop that stuff up and cook it with a bunch of bacon and mix it all together. And it's like uh, apparently like a really Southern dish. Really? You know? Yeah. Man, this is blowing my mind right now. <laughs> you know, what's even funnier is that there was a cannery there was a cannery canning pokeweed until just a few years ago, and it finally went out of business. What? And it was in the south. Yeah. Really? So they did yeah. actually commercially grow and harvest pokeweed just for those purposes. Exactly. That's crazy. Yeah. So if if um, I mean, if they were doing that, do you think they were actually only harvesting the green portion, or do you think? Because I'm I'm thinking here in my head, um. Does it turn green or it's red first and then it turns green or is that the the opposite of what I just said? When it when it first comes out, it does have a little bit of reddish to it. You know, you see those red streaks. Yeah. You know, and then and then as it gets a little bit taller, it starts to have be become more green. Like I said, it could be total hocus pocus. We just we just kind of stick to that because I have heard that you don't want to harvest the reddish parts. Interesting. You so, know, it's like so you actually you, want do, it to be more mature, right? You you want it to to uh, be bigger and longer, and you're taking those flexible pieces off because when it first starts, it is does have red on it, right? Not not in all cases though, and sometimes it's just really green right from the get go. Okay. Okay, because the only yeah. time, what's weird though, is like the only time I identify it is when it is more mature and starts getting the berries on it and, and like the leaves, you know what I mean? Is that too late? At that yeah, point? I would consider that to be too late. Dang it. Yep. Okay, so I'm going to have to start uh, identifying it in its earlier stages then. Yes, and, and actually, I, I always joking refer, jokingly refer to them as the, uh, the bones from last year, but like the pokeweed bones. Yeah. I, you know, I know what you're saying. Very, yeah, it's the big old dead. Yeah, yeah, that are there. Yeah, from the old poker. But they're food. super. They're super visible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. So that's kind of like the same thing with like milkweed and dogbane. When it's in its early stages, it still kind of trips. I mean, it confuses me and trips me up because it's not like there's not the pithiness inside. You know, like with the hairs inside of the dogbane. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's like that early, it, it, it's almost hard to discern for me. Is there something that like would help me recognize that better? For the pokeweed or for the milkweed? For the milkweed. Okay, so for milkweed, super easy. Um, milkweed has fuzzy, furry feeling leaves. 
Okay. And uh, not not a lot of rubberiness to them, right? And the leaves are very wide in comparison to the stem. Dogbane is going to have a very rubbery texture to it, not a lot of fuzziness at all. And in comparison to the stem, the leaves are very narrow. So they would often be, in fact, like clasping on the stem. And then once dog dogbane gets a little bit taller, it's going to then have like little little shoots coming out of the armpits, basically. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Where milkweed does not. And that's like where I pick it up in those stages versus like the real early stages when they're both small. And that's why I never harvest the actual shoots when they're real young and tender. But good to know. Now I'm going to have to go and put forth that knowledge. Well, here, here's a trick for you. Look at your milkweed. If you have a milkweed patch on your property, just mark it out and make sure there's no dog ban in it this year. Next year, when they come up, you'll have just a milkweed patch and you don't have to worry. You can eat shoots. Also true. Sounds good <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. with that being said, I mean, what else is there that like you're anticipating to come up pretty soon that you're looking forward to or something like that that's one of your favorites to cook? Okay, so as far as like what I'm really looking forward to is service berries or June berries. Or all of the amelanch years, yeah, that that is possibly one of our favorite early season berries in this house. And to be honest, we don't really harvest many of the wild ones because so many people and businesses and landscaping companies plant them in their yards for the birds. Really? <laughs> and yeah, so we look like a bunch of crazy people, but we'll just have our berry baskets walking around downtown Traverse city, picking service berries. That's interesting. So explain a service berry because I've seen them before, but I've never seen them. Like I've seen people talking about them, right? I've never actually had one. Don't know what it tastes like, what it exactly what it looks like. I mean, it almost looks to me kind of like a blueberry, but it's more of like a reddish color. Um, Okay, so a service berry is, in a landscape setting, is going to be a grayish barked clumped plant. Like it's going to have multiple stems coming up from one base. Not going to be a tree. It's going to be more like a shrub. And it has single ovate leaves. So it's going to have just a typical like oval-shaped leaf. like, And it's going to have a little tiny serrations on the edges of it. And it's super easy to identify. Um, and then it also has a typical rose family member look to it. So when you look at the end of a service berry, it's going to have that butt end where it was once a flower and now it's not a flower anymore. So, you, you know, you, you, open, you look at the bottom of an apple and you see that little star-shaped thing on the bottom of it. Or like a blueberry or... Um, yeah, yeah, any of... Any of those that are Rose family members, they have that thing. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so that's another identifying characteristic. And I'm going to be honest with you here. I'm not really that scared of tasting berries and just spitting them out. So I have tasted almost all of the quote-unquote toxic berries. <laughs> and, um, and I have never tasted one that tasted good. Okay. 
So it's I'm not encouraging people. No, hey, I'm man, not this is cool. <laughs> so I'm just saying the first time that I ever ate a service berry, I had a berry book. This was many, many years ago, like 15 years ago, probably. I was, I was uh, with my friends and we're looking at this plant and we're going, I think this is the service berry thing. <laughs> And uh, we didn't we didn't know, but I just tasted it. And I was like, that tastes amazing. It's got to be it. <laughs> yeah. And it tasted um, like blueberry almonds. Wow. So that sounds delightful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you, you know, that uh, that flavor that you get in the in the almonds that comes from that like plant cyanide, basically. Right. And sure. and it's in like tiny, tiny amounts. Right. Well that that flavor is that like kind of almondy thing and that that is very present in service berries so they might be full of cyanide is what you're telling me <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i i think that it's just like it, you know maybe like trace 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 amounts but it still it still has that aroma and that and that smell to them it's very good very nice um, and then and then as far as like what we like to do with service berries, we pick them. We usually pick, I don't know, 30 or 40 pounds a year. And I think last year we might've only picked 20 because I don't think it was as stellar of a year, but what we'll do is we'll, we'll dry some. We'll make, I like to make fruit leathers with some of them. Um, last year, I believe my gal made a blackberry or sorry, not blackberry <laughs> service berry jalapeno jam oh sounds good and and that was that was pretty good yep and we and then we just eat them by the mouthful so i mean are you is she making pastries with them and stuff too pancakes and waffles or some type of muffins or yeah we we don't um we do pancakes with berries often but other than that we're not really doing a lot of the whole berry thing um in in pastries just I'll, I'll relate a funny story to you we eat a lot of berries like just fresh fruit we just like to eat a lot of fresh fruit right. in our household yep uh, doesn't need to have any sugar on it um almost every single year while we're picking service berries we'll have multiple people come up to us per year and ask us how we're going to eat them and we we always find that question so funny. We say we say, oh, just put them in our mouth, you know. <laughs> but but it's like because because people have this weird association that they can't eat fruit if it's not accompanied by sugar and bread. Oh no, oh no. We we like fruit salads and things like that, and just fruit in our house. It doesn't need the sugar. You are correct. I mean, it's full of sugar. Um, but no, I was just wondering because I know that your lady is uh, quite the pastry chef as well. So, oh yeah, I mean she does she does, um, and when she used to do the farmers market, and she before we had our 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 daughter Lily, who's now you know closing in on two years old, toddler, yeah, she, yeah, she she used to do the farmers market, and she would do all kinds of amazing sourdough donuts and breads and cookies and all this stuff, but. That's a lot more challenging now. So right now her her business is 100% like tea business. I understand. Yep. Which is a little bit more manageable. Do you do you often dry and use the service berries in in the teas? 
She has not, but that's probably a pretty good idea. Okay, I just throwing it out there. Hey, man, uh, you know, maybe send a little bit my way if uh, I just came on to something yeah. really good there. Um, yeah. So, so I'm just. I got to go find some service berries now. Are they something that grows pretty much native anywhere or is it like geographically specific somewhere? I know some of our foraging friends out there on the East Coast or in North Carolina or in some of those places are definitely finding them right now and they are ripe. So, I mean, yeah. we know it grows there. That's a pretty diverse uh, ecosystem over there. Is it something that I can find here in Illinois, in the Midwest? Absolutely. You could definitely find them down there. Um, my, my friend actually, my friend that lives in Louisville, Kentucky, Okay. he, he was just harvesting them a couple of weeks ago. So I should be looking oh, about oh, now. You definitely should. <laughs> okay. So with that being said, whereabouts should I be looking for these other than in landscapes? Uh, if you were to look for wild service berries, um see here's the biggest difficulty right wild service berries our, our native variety are often 20 to 30 foot trees oh man <laughs> and, and, they're, and they're growing on a single stalk and birds and squirrels eat them all and um the only shrubby versions that i've ever seen are located in the upper peninsula dang it and and so we, we go up and we harvest wild blueberries annually in the Upper Peninsula. Yeah. And while we're up there, there's tons of little shrubby uh, service berry bushes. And up there, they call them shad bush. Interesting. And, and we, eat, we eat a lot of those. And occasionally, I find them down here by me as well. But it's as you move north, the service berries or the amelanchier genus gets smaller and shrubbier. Interesting. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to scale some trees and fight some squirrels and birds is what you're telling me. <laughs> exactly. Stupid. Yep. Stupid birds are stealing all my cherries too. <laughs> what cherries? Um, uh, You know, I don't even know. I don't know what they are. They're, they're cherries. <laughs> they're sour, slightly they? sour ones. Are they wild though? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, but they're. Uh, oh, okay. So, I mean, it's uh, probably some cultivar from, you know, whatever. I don't know, but could have been a pit, oh, I see. Okay. pits that somebody threw. Um, but yeah, birds. I'm fighting the birds off right now for those. But who knows? Well, maybe. <laughs> did you know? Did you know that we had a native parakeet to the United States that was hunted to extinction because they were eating so many cherries? I did not tell me more. <laughs> yeah, it was called the, uh, I believe, uh, I'm going to probably be wrong here, but it's like the Carolina parakeet or something like that. Really? And it was, it was actually had a tendency to mob cherry trees in particular, but they would all group together and eat on one tree. So farmers could take a shotgun and just shoot the, a bunch of them all at once. And they were hunted to extinction. Interesting. Yeah. And all they had to do was probably net the tree and keep the bird. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right, man. So <laughs> happy thoughts. Every huh? time no, every well, it's crazy, but every time I talk to you, you always come up with some random something. This time it was two all in one episode, but you <laughs> freaking blow my mind with something like that. 
Yeah. I'm glad you nerd uh, out and read all those cool books so you can tell me all these awesome things. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it, it's fun. But um, other things that we like to forage, like I said, blueberries. Um, I'm really getting amped up for a good chanterelle season. Um, so do you guys pick chanterelles? I have never found a chanterelle. I have oh, never okay. found one. I mean, I have gone out looking. Maybe I've missed it. Maybe it wasn't the right time. I don't know. Um, last year was super wet in the spring, and then it was like a drought. So I don't know if maybe yeah. that affected them to where they weren't popping up, or I, I don't know. Tell me more. I'm in, I'm intrigued. I want to know where exactly I should look for them and what type of weather patterns to follow here. But I, I can't speak down <laughs> by you, but but up by up by me in northern Michigan, we're we're basically looking at you know beginning to middle July is is when they start to really pop and my mushroom geek friend the other day told me that he's seen them in june and i believe him but i've never seen them in june before it seems a little early to me okay um but 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 basically what you want to do is look for they they have associations with trees so they're a mycorrhizal species so uh all the cantarellas are mycorrhizal so that means that they like to associate with the roots of trees and specifically most of them by me like to associate with oaks or beaches. I don't have and, any beaches by me, but I do have a lot of oaks. That's kind of like yeah. I always look for the black oaks when I'm looking for um, the sheep's heads or, you know, whatever you want to call them, hen of the woods. Um, I always look for the black oaks because it seems that they grow on the black oak roots a lot more. Well, let me just tell you. You may not find chanterelles, but I've never in my life found a uh, hen of the woods. I think we're going to have because... to do a trade here, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, um, my good friend that I was just talking about, the mushroom dark guy, uh, Paul. <laughs> he, <laughs> Paul, Paul he's Stamets? Like, Is that the mushroom dark no, guy? <laughs> no, 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 not Paul Stamets, no. Um, uh, my other friend, Paul, he he finds a lot of mushrooms up here, and he finds a lot of my takis up here and i'm always blown away because until i started seeing him talk about my taki or, or hen of the woods up here i had never known another forager to find a my taki in northern michigan that's interesting because, because and and he thinks that it has a lot to do with the fact that the southern areas of michigan were logged a lot sooner or a, a lot longer ago than the northern areas so we don't have as many old growth oaks as they do in southern michigan or maybe you do yeah. and and maitake or, or hen of the woods prefers to live on really really old oak trees yeah that's when when i search for them and i got taught by a guy that the only mushrooms he hunts are morels and maitakes nothing else and uh, i went with them and trying to learn and he was just speed going through the woods. And I'm like, how can he go so fast? And how many is he missing? <laughs> like, for the morels, you know, you can't go that fast. But, like, for the maitakes, and he'd just literally have his mushroom sack and run through the woods. And I'm like, how are you, <laughs> what are you doing? And he wouldn't tell me, right? So he's just like, I know, follow me. And he kept finding them. And I'm talking, like, big ones. Like, some of them were, like, 20, 30 pounds. And I'm like, wow. Oh, my God. So... <laughs> 
And he's like, oh, that one's little. We'll come back for that one another day. And like he'd run <laughs> in the woods and get that one like four or five days later after, you know, he'd wait till there was a rain and go back a day or two later. And I'm like, wow, how does he do this? So then I kind of just started hanging back. And, and and like I only went out twice with them. And I'm like, OK. So then I went out on my own and I started thinking about it. And I'm like. He looks up a lot, right? So he's looking up because they hold their leaves longer. He's looking at the leaves and looking at the mast, the mass of the tree and going, that's an old tree. I'm going there. So all he's doing is just running to all these super old, you know, hundred year old oaks and finding wow. on the roots. And I'm like, okay, got it. And then, you know, I still don't run through the woods cause I want to discover a million other things. Right. I'm like a squirrel. Yeah just like it's so random you know because i'm like oh what's that over there and this and that and, you know you trying to look and hey i don't know what that is let's identify that oh that's a jelly fungus you know like just different things like that he doesn't do that because he's only focused on one thing but i learned through watching him run through the woods and figure it out that that's how he's finding them so easily so yeah it totally makes sense all that long story that i just gave to get to the point that um yeah, it could be that they were logged and you don't have any old growth like that. So, sorry. Yeah. But I've got plenty of that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got well, plenty of that uh, on the riverbeds down here. <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of my favorite wild mushrooms, and I've only ever gotten it from my friends. So, well, it's come a on down, my friend. And <laughs> I will say that uh, as early as September around here sometimes they pop up depending on the rain and the humidity wow. and stuff so and then you got all the way into november it's a long season wow. if it's right like one year i was finding them i was whitetail hunting second week in november and i was still finding them and it didn't matter that i wasn't uh killing any deer because i was hauling arm loads out <laughs> back to my truck wow so <laughs> that's super cool yeah um, that's, that's the, that's the benefit in my opinion of being able to do all of these things. Absolutely. Is you never come home empty handed. That's right. That, that, uh, definitely is true except for the yeah. angling, right? Cause if you suck at it, you're not going to catch any fish and then you'll have to spear them or dip net them. <laughs> yeah, actually I netted a lot. I, I netted a lot of fish in the spring. Did you, what'd you a lot get? Of suck suckers? suckers tell me more about these suckers because i've never ever eaten them and i don't know if i want to do i <laughs> maybe not by you i don't know we have decently clean water in northern michigan okay pure michigan if so you will. yeah pure michigan <laughs> pure <laughs> michigan wouldn't be pure without the zebra mussels <laughs> um um so yeah i mean that season is gone now and it has been gone for a little while but we we go out in every spring me and my kids uh, they all have waders and basically what we do is one or more of us will go into the creek at one part and then flush them towards the other and we all have nets and i got uh in one dip net my record this year was nine fish in one in one dipping that's pretty and, good you know they're pretty yeah, they're they're pretty big fish too, you know. So what do you do with them? I mean, how do you I don't know. I know nothing about them. They just always so look sucker, kinda ugly and I always heard that you don't eat that kind of fish, but 
<laughs> soccer is really good and and i think it's like a a up upper peninsula habit but people have this thing up there of smoking fish or smoking suckers okay it's like a fin it's like i don't know if you know this the upper peninsula was largely like inhabited by finnish people mm-hmm. and, and i don't know why but there's tons of smoked fish up there and tons of uh, saunas well, and, it, it, uh, the cold weather <laughs> reminded them of home, and <laughs> they didn't have any lutefisk yeah. or whatever it was. So, <laughs> yeah, so they uh, they did a lot of that. So we do smoke some suckers. We also, uh, I really like to take a whole fillet, and then I have one of those fish skinning devices because okay. I'm I'm not a man, I'm not a man enough to do it with a knife. <laughs> um, I just don't. I just I'm not that good at it. Okay. Um, so I just I just use a fish skinning device, and I take the fillet, and I take the skin off, and I'll remove any fat, and then I take a fillet knife, and I'll literally fillet through every quarter inch, okay. uh, because they're really bony. They're really bony, and then we I'll make a I'll make like a not a batter, but like a a breading mix, and I'll take a bunch of acorn flour. Um, and I'll just add in whatever kind of spices. I use a lot of like wild bergamot and, uh, you know, sea salt. I'll use um, wild harvested dulse from the ocean. I don't know what uh, that that's is. The... You're going to have to go back to that when we're done here. <laughs> dulse, dulse is a seaweed. Okay. But uh, powdered seaweed. And I, and I mix that all up and I make a, I make a, a breading. And then we fry it. We deep fry it in... Uh, Whatever fat we have, you know, it could be lard, it could be tallow, whatever. But again, like I said, no vegetable oils. <laughs> Understand. And uh, and and my kids, including my baby, <laughs> they will smash that stuff. So you know, I mean, the, the bones you cut it small enough to where the bones don't. I mean, they get soft enough, or what? I mean, are they real fine bones or what? I mean, you can still kind of feel them a little bit. But I try to, that's why I say I try to cut them every quarter inch because I'm, I'm trying to cut right through the fillet and kind of slice through the bones and open that area of the fish up so that the hot oil kind of dissolves them a little bit as much as they can. Okay. So it's kind of, I mean, are they real fine, like a trout bone then? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where it's almost like hairs in there, you know, the, the bone. Yeah, and then um, the other thing that we do that totally gets rid of the bones is we pressure can them, and then we have pressure canned sucker, and that's like kind of tuna, you know, and it's like canned tuna. Okay, all right, I can I can deal with that. You know, I I I gotta admit that I never even ate. I would never eat salmon because it just wasn't fresh and it didn't have the same taste, you know, especially like at a restaurant. But yeah. I finally opened up a pack, like a Mylar bag of salmon the other day and tried it. And I actually found it enjoyable, which I never thought I would. I hate, <laughs> I hate to admit that, but I actually enjoyed it. So maybe I would actually enjoy trying some of that canned fish. That's, I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah. But the smoking thing, uh, we smoke smelt around here where I am. Because all the people go up to Chicago, they catch the smelt and smoke those. This is in Lake Michigan? Yes. Wow, that's cool. 
Yeah, smelts are really not. Uh, I get the impression that I missed the glory days. Yeah, I don't think that that exists anymore. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember, you know, my dad and stuff doing it, but I, I don't know anybody that's done it recently. Yeah. Yeah, the um, there's a couple inland lakes by me that have smelt that you can get, you can catch them while you're ice fishing. But other than that, I don't think anybody's going out and, you know, catching 25 gallons a day or whatever, like they used to. Right. <laughs> Once again, sustainability thing, kind of like the canaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, man, we've been talking for a little while here. Um, probably a good note to wrap it up. Um, I appreciate you coming on and telling me all these things. I'm going to go actually try and cook some of those things and eat those things now, especially that lamb's quarter, since I've got it all over the place. Um, you definitely should then I will. Um, so I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. And can you tell everybody before we go where they can find you find recipes, all that cool stuff, even the teas. Okay. I got a couple of places for you then. You can find me at Clay double underscore Bowers at Instagram or right. on Instagram. Um, my website is nomiforager.com. That's N-O-M-I forager.com. And then the tease that is largely my girlfriend's business. That's her name is Madeline Walters and that is bloomwildcraft.com. And she's under the same name on Instagram as well. And so we operate out of the same household. We make a lot of the stuff. I, I forage for her. She forages a lot of the stuff. And then she has is the mastermind behind all the crazy creations that she creates for her teas, you know? Awesome. So, um, yeah. I got to ask you this. Nettles. When do you not harvest them anymore? So I'm still seeing them all over the place. Uh you can harvest them for tea right now. They're a good. They're, they're an excellent tea harvesting plant right now. Actually, we, we've been basically going out harvesting right now, uh, for, because one of our main tea blends that we make, or she, I should say she makes is mint and nettle. Okay. And so it's just, it's just simply 100% nettle and peppermint. That's all it is. But I'm saying, so is it, too late to harvest them and no, steam them and eat absolutely. them. Oh, oh, for eating them. Um, I ate stinging nettle a week ago. Yep. And uh, I was only taking like the top two inches. Okay. So you can still eat it. It's cool. It's just probably not going to be as good as the as it would be earlier on. Flavor, but I thought you meant for tea. No, flavor less intense, or would it be because it's starting to get a little fibrous? It's just, uh, it's kind of getting older in the season. You know, it's, it, it's got a, it packs a really nutritious punch like early in the season. Okay. All right. Yeah. But H had to ask that. It's an <laughs> yeah. Had to ask that, man. All right. So it's been good, man. I appreciate you coming on and thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was a fun time. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show.
I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.